Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're not wearing a bra right now? No. Those are your boobs when you're not wearing a bra. Super excited I'm doing a podcast with a 26-year-old. Anyway... Hi, welcome to Crush the Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Kirsten Lyons, and I'm joined by my cousin and co-host, Aaron Raderstorff. It's true, but I also forgot to say we're also, we're sponsored by eBay. Hey, how you doing? How was your week? It was a big, I feel like this is just a heavy week. It was a heavy week. It was a heavy week. I just feel like I'm like... It's so <sighs> weird that this is a side effect of COVID sometimes, like, not... Dissipating. Endings, dissipating is people are out in the world and then <sighs> yeah it's just I feel it's it's interesting I, I've been editing the episode this week and I've just been like it's first of all Heather our guest today is incredible I mean she's she's just it's such a great episode it's like literally I there were times I feel like both of us our mouths dropped Like that's the only way to like this story is so chock full of like detail after detail and just, but I don't know, editing, we giggle so much in this episode and it is such a deep episode and you know, we get close to tears too, but part of it was like hard for me because I was like, there's so many people experiencing so much loss right now, right? Like we talk a lot on this show about loss um, and we will have people on here that their loss is someone died. Um, And actually today we talk about that. Um, I don't know. I just, I I also found out, I didn't know, but like one of my dear friends, somebody in their family lost their husband. And then I found out somebody else lost their husband. Like suddenly I just, I, I don't know. It just, it's just been all around. Yeah. I think, you know, I actually tend to freeze when people close to me experience that kind of loss. It scares me the first time that I go through that kind of loss, but it also really intimidates me because I don't know how to be there for people. And they experience that kind of loss. And I feel like I'm going to do it wrong. So I just, I like curl up into a ball because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I get to a point where I just end up saying nothing at all, which is so much worse. You know, what's interesting. It's interesting that you say that because I have that feeling sometimes. Um, and, and, and to be fair, the loss that so many people are, I mean, it was murder, right? So this yeah. is a totally sep- like, this is like loss upon loss this and is targeted. This isn't like yeah. somebody was, you know, Yeah. I know people like bag on social media and I've got my own issues with social media. There's so much education that can happen, right? Obviously in the last year, we've seen so much education in terms of anti-racism. There's so many people that are offering their skills and everything from, you know, free things to you can um, pay. What's that website you can pay? Like, oh my God, Patreon. But then also I think, you know, you can find people on Instagram that have lost someone and they will say like, this is what really helped me. And this yeah. is what didn't help me. But I agree with you. There, there's so many moments in the last year where I felt, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. But, you know, so many people have said, especially in terms of racism and, you know, when people say like, it's not my, it's, it's not my place. They're like, no, please make it your place. Like, yeah. please, I need you to make it your place. And, but I love that you just said that. I love that you were honest about that. I think the other thing is I need to, and I don't mean this to be self-deprecating, but I, I need to stop being so selfish in terms of like someone is going through something so huge. I'm sure I would never say anything that was overtly insensitive, but if it wasn't maybe like the right thing to say, I'm sure they're probably dealing with more than 
it, I'm I, not that important in their life at that point. Mm, mm. But I also love your sensitivity to, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I think totally. kind of the beauty of like the balance of, I'm not really that important in their life right now, but yeah. also like kind of bringing that together can be a really great way to reach out to someone. Also what's a part of life is anniversaries. Today, Erin put something on Instagram stories. She shared something. She did not write the letter, but she shared a letter. It was a letter to Hannah Montana. I'm going to cry. I. It was Miley Cyrus wrote it, obviously, the illustrious actress who portrayed Hannah Montana. It's been a while, 15 years to be exact, since the first time I slid those blonde bangs over my forehead in the best attempt to conceal my identity, then slipped into a puke pink terry cloth robe with a bedazzle HM over the heart. I didn't know then that is where you would live forever. Ah, uh, not a dry eye in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweetie. Here's, Wait a here's second. How thing. old were you when that show premiered? I would have just turned 11. Hmm. Wow, I really did not think I would get this emotional. Here's the thing. I could go on and on about what Hannah Montana meant to me, but it absolutely broke my heart to hear, I think five-ish years ago, Miley talk about how much pain that whole situation brought her. Mm. And not because I was like, you should be grateful. And like, it was really more from a place of, it sucked thinking that something that I loved so much brought someone else so much pain. And somebody who in my eyes embodied something so beautiful and cool, you know, at times hated it. That was so hard for me to come to term come to terms with. Why does it always have to be this like child star suddenly talk S H I T about? Oh, you just why does it shit? I did because <laughs> you always don't say it, and I'm like, I don't want to be a bad influence. No, but, I said sh- the la- my episode. I said bullshit or shit. Oh, or then something. I'm gonna say it. Shit. Why does it always have to be this cycle of years later? These people who were child stars talking shit about the character that they played, and it mm. it makes me angry more from a sense of like. We have all this evidence that we can stop making this a shitty situation for these kids. Mm. Why does it always have to come to this? And then it, I don't want to love something that somebody was in pain over. Was in pain over. That sucks. And I, reading this letter today, really, so dramatic. It really healed me from that feeling of guilt. And I was like, okay, she's able to look back on it and see some of the good while acknowledging some of the bad. And that's so human. And I think it takes us time to get to that place. And maybe she finally felt like she was at a place where she could speak on some of her anger towards the situation she was put in. I think it's interesting. You said the cycle we know, like, why are we not doing anything to stop it? And I think obviously the the main thing is money, right? Like, you know, we talk about it a little bit, I think in this episode, but we're as actors, performers, we're just commodities. Also think one of the reasons this happens is because of the age. So if even if you take out like the child actor and all the trappings that it comes with, and it does, it really does. But I think it also has to do with that's just part of childhood. You get, you have to, part of the breaking of things, right? I mean, why do teenagers fight with their parents? Hopefully they have good parents. The Miley Cyruses of the world and the different people, they're fighting with their parents. And I, and, and with that, when we fight with our parents, it doesn't mean we don't have valid things to say, but we're sometimes lashing out and not doing it in the, the healthiest way. And that could be because we weren't taught a healthy anger, but I'm with you. I mean, how many child stars do we have to, you know, just to close on Hannah Montana. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but when I did, so five year, for five years, I dressed up as characters for little kids' birthday parties. And I dressed up as um, Disney princesses usually. And somebody had asked for Hannah Montana and I had a raspy voice and I kind of looked like Hannah Montana. 
And so we created a Hannah Montana party. We would do a whole dance to the Hannah Montana theme song with the kids. And then they would put it on for the parent. And I brought like a headset for the girl to wear, the birthday girl. And so my ex and I, who I shared on the episode, our very special episode. So we broke up one time before we got back together, dated for a year and got engaged. We broke up. He cheated on me before. Don't worry. It wasn't just one time. It was an outdoor party. There was like a bouncer, jump house. And I'm just trying to get through this party. I'm like literally bawling, going there, fixing my makeup, walking in, being like, hi, how are you? Hello. When you do the parties, it's like anything. You kind of forget what your real life is. You're just kind of like in party mode, in kid mode, whatever. As you sit down to face paint the kids' faces, that's when like you're like, oh, I got to get this at the store or whatever. And I, it all came rushing back to me that he had dumped me. And I was like painting faces as Hannah Montana, have the Hannah Montana soundtrack playing in like my tiny CD boom box. It's like, you know, the best of both worlds. And I'm painting a face like tears. <laughs> and this kid goes out to you goes, you're not the real Hannah Montana. You're too old, like runs away. And I was just like, I'm too old for everything. <laughs> Man, Hannah was going through it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I like barely made it to my car before I broke down. I think I was like pulling all my party supplies, like, like uh, almost at the door, like, <laughs> and like just got in and, and broke down crying. But uh, yeah, so Hannah has holds a special place <laughs> in my heart. And I was very upset when the documentary came out about the guy that was climbing the mountain. Free Solo. Yeah. Okay. When Free Solo came out, they never played Hannah's song. What are you talking about? The mountain song, her climbing the mountain song. <laughs> I waited the whole movie for that song. It never came out. <laughs> I was like, you so are missing prime opportunity, people. I know it's a very different demographic, but come on. Lay the climb. The Disney theater in LA on Hollywood Boulevard is called El Capitan. Okay. Hannah Montana, a Disney product. I don't understand. The, the mountain he climbed was called the El Capitan Mountain why he didn't they own use? the mountain? I know he doesn't own the mountain. You know how but... much it would cost to license a Disney Channel song? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. They missed a supreme opportunity. All right. All right. All right. On it. that note, let's meet Heather Gardner. <laughs> Hi, welcome. Hello, thank you so much. I'm, I mean, I feel like we've, we've been talking now for almost an hour. I, I feel like we know each other and here we are with the intro. Heather Gardner is a television host and content creator focused on facts with a side of sass. I like that. Heather's bold stance on social and political issues has made her an outspoken voice to be reckoned with on social media with more than a career hundred million views. Is that serious? hundred million? My word. Heather has also worked for multiple platforms, including HuffPo, Variety, Yahoo, Holly Scoop, and most recently, Entertainment Weekly's Last Night, Late Night on Quibi. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much. That was so welcome. welcome. I want to give you like a little applause. <laughs> I used to do voiceover. So, okay. First yes. question, in sync or Backstreet Boys? Or do you have a write-in? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, but I really, I put so much thought into this and this made me wonder <laughs> another question that I knew you were going to ask. I have to go Backstreet Boys and, and have like a long, long re reasons why. Uh-oh. Y'all can't see this because it's a podcast, but Kirsten is giving me that look. I really thought that we had bonded so much. Like I thought Wait, I was going to go to Claire's and get you like maybe a best friends, not a three-way best friends necklace. Like we get each side of the heart and Aaron has the middle. And then you just said that about BSB. 
So I just appreciate the fact that they're still like doing things nowadays where I feel like NSYNC and Justin Timberlake, he just forgot where he came from. Mm. He has a lot, nothing to do. I was, when he did the Super Bowl a few years ago, I was waiting, been waiting. I feel like JT's too good now. Not trying to be funny, but I feel the same way about the actors from High School Musical. And like, so, so genuine. <laughs> did she just spit out her whatever? Yeah, she, she did. <laughs> Like, you know, Zac Efron doesn't really like to talk about how he never does any of the reunion stuff. Vanessa, she, same level as Zac Efron, and she still does it? Like, see, that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. JT could do it. I think you both bring up extremely valid points. When the whole pandemic happened and Zac didn't come and do the sing-along, he introduced it or so. He said he didn't have reception or so. I don't know. Did, was there anything else we really needed in the whole world at that moment than the cast of the original High School Musical to just get it together for us? And he couldn't, he couldn't deliver. Couldn't do it. I agree. And Heather, I don't know if you've listened to this episode because I don't remember which it was, but Aaron and I got in a heated discussion over (laughs) Teen Beach Movie versus High School Musical. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever offended anyone the way I offended Aaron. Okay, maybe I'll offend you by saying that I have no idea what Teen Beach Movie is. (laughs) (laughs) Point made. But I I know all about High School Musical. Here's the thing. It's way past anybody's time, but my daughter is seven and a half. And so she's- And I am who I am and continue to watch Disney Channel. (laughs) That's why I knew. It it was, it's basically like a 50s throwback Grease-esque type film, but they get stuck in the past and they have to like dance their way out of the 50s. Speaking of dancing our way out of the past, when you were playing MASH when you were 12 (laughs) years old, would you have chosen a manch, apartment, a shack, or a house? Is there any other response than mansion? Who at 12 years old doesn't want a giant mansion? Okay. Who are you going to marry? Oh my God. Okay. I had to go back in like the deep depths of my, my brain to pull this one out. <laughs> I have to give like a little background too, because like even the NSYNC and Backstreet Boys like question is a little hard because I grew up very religious, quite always allowed to. So was listen. it Michael W. Smith? That would have been a good one. I did go to one of his concerts. I think that may have been my very first <laughs> concert now that I remember correctly. <laughs> So there was this guy, his name was Chris Fenden, and he was a boy band member for Jump 5, which was a Christian pop group. Chris, what's his name? I'm Googling him right now. Fenden, it's spelled F-E-D, no, (laughs) F-E-N-D-U-N. That's, Chris is calling me, right? Chris, (laughs) Chris, thank you. Stay on the line. I guess my husband is looking for my keys and he just played the tile. How do I turn it off? Well, now they know that it works. I have one of those sitting around. Bradley! You're fine. <laughs> <gasps> makes sense. Guys, these frosted tips on his hair are everything. And the chain. They were giving me vibes in my preteen oh life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so what did you want to do when you? Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I just need to clear my throat and I've been waiting for a moment. <laughs> so at the time, I would always put Connecticut as the place that I wanted to live, which I thought was so exotic to me at the time because I, <laughs> right? Again, I lived a very sheltered life. Um, I was born in Connecticut and I had never been to Connecticut. So I thought that would be really cool to like go back to where I was born. (laughs) And then I wanted to be a singer. That is what I wanted to do. Um, I mean, I grew up with American Idol, Carrie Underwood. Mm -hmm. Again, why I can't ever meet her because I (laughs) voted for her from day one on American Idol. And I, I auditioned for American Idol Oh, how many times? Two, maybe three, and the X Wow. And the voice and all of those things. You, when you were auditioning, was it always kind of the big cattle calls where you'd oh, wait yeah. in line and everything? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Yep, okay. Yep. But I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Like, and I had sung my entire life, like in church and I would do mm-hmm. talent shows in school and competitions like local fairs and state fairs and things like that. And all of the things that I just loved being in front of people. I love showing off. I loved competing. And I wanted that. I wanted that life. Although God did not bless me with Carrie Underwood pipes. So here we are. <laughs> all right. So let's set the stage. How, okay. So you said you moved to LA first. So you've had two moves to LA. This is my third time living in LA. Actually. Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I moved, I moved to LA 11 years ago, like this, this coming week, I think month internship with CNN. And then I was in my junior year of college. So I had to go back and finish college. So then I took a little stint up in Indiana. I was a country music radio host. Um, yeah. So I moved to LA, did the entertainment reporter TV host thing um, in LA, and then got a call to host a show in New York city with HuffPost and in my thirties. And I just kind of thought like, oh, well, like what, how many opportunities do you have? Especially like, I'm gonna say late in life, but you know, like I'm not the, but, you know. But in entertainment world, honestly, like yes. 30 is you're done. I feel I'm, <laughs> I'm 40, so I'm dead now. But I'm still- a zombie. I've come back to life. I'm haunting everyone. <laughs> I don't want to say that because I, I, I kind of believe it, but I don't want to believe it. Anyway, here we are. So I moved to New York. My husband and I moved to New York and that lasts um, about a year and a half, two weeks before lockdown happened, before the pandemic, before anything, we moved back to LA to, for me to host a whole other show. So, you know, what I love about that is I think a lot of times people, especially in entertainment in general, and I, I I'm guilty of this. So that's why I'm saying this, but I think a lot of times we think, oh, we have to be in this place and we don't allow ourselves a cell. We don't allow ourselves these moments of like, oh, a door's opening. Let's, let's just be open to this door opening and walk through it instead of having this like such a narrow life plan, especially in the entertainment world. So you move back to LA um, for a job. Yes. And that job was? The job that I had been waiting for my entire career. I've been doing this like a decade now. I've been doing this like 10 years now. Yeah. Uh, And it was hosting my very own show on a network that no longer exists called (laughs) Pretty. We'll just go ahead and throw that out there. Was that like, I have made it moment that you're talking about like wardrobe, dressing room, hair and makeup every day, meals delivered to me. Like not that I like ever needed that or that I would ever thought that I would have that because like when I moved back to LA, it was very much in that like YouTube space. And I was working, creating, I was host, producer, writer, all of the things. I was my own hair and makeup person. So I never like, I never thought that I would get to that point where I would have all of this. I mean, it was so official. We had, I had a team of writers instead of me having to do like everything. It was like, it was everything that I had like wanted for my career. And I, when I came out to LA, the, I wanted to be an entertainment reporter, but, but more so I really wanted to host my own show. This was that and on a network, you know, yeah. that's what I came out here to do. <laughs> and then 2020 happened. <laughs> so walk us through like, when did the, when did production start? Did it start in 2019 or did it start in 2020? It didn't. So I auditioned for the show, um, right at the end of 2020 or 2019. Okay. So, okay. Oh my gosh. So my years are so screwed up. I was still in New York. Uh, I had actually like, so backstory a little bit. So we moved to New York to do, um, this other show with Huff Post, which was great. Although that didn't last very long. That was just a mm-hmm. year. And then I came in one day and they laid off my entire team. Um, wow. So that was, that was a whole other crushed 
story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I, you know, I spent the next few months auditioning and it was right around the holidays. And my manager was like, you need to get to LA. Like, because Mm -hmm. they want to see you. And I was like, can I just do this over Zoom? Because you know how it is, like auditioning, like 99% of it goes nowhere. And I'm like, you're going to make me get on a plane, fly all the way across the country, do a 10 minute or 10 minute audition for a show that I know I'm not going to get. The one week between Christmas and New Year is when like all of it happened. And they're like, all right, you get the show. You got to come out and film this pilot and the whole thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're starting 2020 is my year. This is what we're doing. So I shoot the pilot. I, we pack up our entire apartment. Apartment. We sell all of our furniture in New York and we book a one-way ticket to uh, LA. So Quibi, for people that don't know, Quibi is, can you just give us like a quick thing of what Quibi was? So Quibi was supposed to be like this revolutionary way to view, I mean, really anything, high quality movies, television shows. My show um, fell into like the news category and it was a daily show that we produced um, overnight actually, where my show specifically is called Last Night's Late Night. So we would watch all of the late night shows on at a particular every weekday mm-hmm. basically. And then we would give you like the best clips. Uh, and so like the same thing goes for like, they had an e-news show where they would give you the best entertainment stories of the day. Got so it. just, and quick little bites. And the reason it was supposed to be so revolutionary was because it was supposed to be for working professionals on the go. Like you know, standing I, in coffee lines or whatever, yes. right? Or like on a subway, I would have loved an app like this when I was commuting in New York because I was on a subway. Yeah. How, many, how many, you know, hours a week are you on a subway? And I would listen to podcasts but I'm a visual person. I'm in, I'm a television host. I love, you know, to see videos and I would have loved to be able to download these videos and watch them on my, you know, commutes and things like that. Uh, so that was what it was supposed to be. And it launched like what, three weeks after nobody was, went anywhere and it got a ton of bad press for that. And, and it's like, I don't need these snackable bites to watch because I, I have can sit, exactly. I can sit home for two hours and watch something. Exactly. Yeah. Not in 2020, which again, again, like going full circle, like moment, I'm really glad that we even got launched because like, they toyed with the idea of like pushing back the launch like a month or so. And I really do think that if they had done that, they probably would have just wrapped everything because they lost so much money, Yeah, so much money. And I think they probably would have seen the writing on the wall at that point, that this was not going to be something that was going to blow over anytime soon. And they would have pulled everything. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kirsten. Okay, isn't Heather's story like wild? I was just about to ask you the same thing. Were you also about to ask me where you can find the latest sneakers and the cutest styles that work for your new lifestyle of working out every single day? How did you know that's exactly what I was going to ask you? You're my baby cousin. I got you. Also, I can't believe you work out every day, but that's for a completely different conversation. I can believe that you can get the latest releases or even rare vintage sneakers at the eBay marketplace. You're kidding. No, not one bit. eBay even has authenticity guarantee that your sneakers will be meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Did you just say meticulously? No, I did. There's a literal team of experienced sneaker authenticators verifying the box the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Wow, I can't thank you enough for telling me about this. I'm going to have the best new kicks in my workout. Just head over to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And we had 
been just in pre-production. Like I had just gone to the set. I had just done all the fittings like you were just talking about. Yeah. Fittings and all of the things and meeting everybody, my executive producers and my writers. And it was a dream freaking come true. Oh and I gosh. shot one promo the first day, the first and last day that we were on the set. Um, I'm in a full suit had my hair all done, hair and makeup done, um, a pink, bright pink suit. We're shooting commercials to air on freaking television, the whole thing. I put my phone away for an hour to do this and I pick it back up and it's just like text message, Tom Hanks, NBA canceled. My husband is like, oh my God, oh my God. My mom is like freaking out. Cause like, I'll, I'll just never forget that. And then like, I walk back, I'm like, oh, well wow. this is, I mean, I'm on cloud nine the highest of the highs that I have ever been in my entire like career life and I walk back in my dressing room and I'm still like I'm looking at my phone but not really registering because I just shot a commercial for my right. show you know right and so I get back in there and I'm like changing my clothes getting ready to like go home and there's this little knock on my door and my executive producer comes in and he's like well we're not going to come in tomorrow and we're going to take next week off and we're just going to like sit with this and like things are happening. It's fine. It premieres in two weeks. We'll, we'll just rush. We'll get everything done. Everything's fine. Just, we're not going to come in next week. And I never went back. Wow. Everybody has their story of like those two weeks because we didn't know anything. We didn't know anything about the world. We didn't know anything about this. No. disease. We didn't know anything at all. We and- packed up our apartment. We packed up our apartment thinking we'd be gone for we, we yeah. were joking two months, but we were like, probably four weeks. We'll go stay with family. And we, I've never, It'll I haven't blow. seen our apartment. We packed it yeah, up. Movers packed it up. Yeah. It's going to be fine. So like <laughs> add like, I don't say insult to injury. It's just kind of like the way that things had happened again, like just moved across the country. We didn't have any furniture. Um, we didn't right. have anything and everything closed. So we couldn't even get anything. So I had like that week when they were like, okay, well, let's come in and like give you lights and, you know, set up everything. I had an entire set in my living room in my studio apartment before I even had a couch. (laughs) Wow. I had not a chair. And they're just like, it's just going to be a couple weeks, like practice here. And then we'll get back in studio for our launch date, which was the beginning of April. I just love the visual of an entire set in this apartment. No couch. When I tell you we had nothing, we had nothing. We had a mattress. Like that's, that's all we brought with us was a mattress and like nowhere to put anything. And so the stress of like being in a place, um, you know, that we just moved into the stress of like, is my show, we didn't even know for a few weeks if the show was even going to continue it. Cause like Quibi, there was like all these rumblings around. Cause this is Quibi's big, like premiere. They had a red carpet. They were going to fly me up. I still mourn this a little bit. They were going to fly me on a private jet back to New York to do like the press tour of morning shows and all of the things, like the things you just dream about that you never think are going to happen to you. Like all of this, like all of those things were happening. Everything got canceled. And so they were like toying with the idea of not even like launching, like, oh, let's wait a month. Let's wait a a few weeks, you know? And I'm so, so thankful that that didn't happen. We launched the show here from my home. They hired my husband on the spot because he was the only person on the whole planet that I was allowed to be around at that time. And someone had to turn on the lights and camera and run a prompter. And But also you know, th- all more the- money coming in. That's like, amazing. thank God. Yes. It, and that was the other like silver lining. So thankfully he had a job you know, during this whole time too when we thought that he was going to be unemployed. And while everyone around us, like so many friends and family, like worlds were falling apart. And like here I was with a good job still, like 
income and my husband had income too, which we were not even expecting. So again, like the hindsight of it all and the blessings of all of that were, wow. But it also weighed on me a lot during that time too, because like everybody had their feelings and like so many people were either taking pay cuts or, you know, um, losing their jobs entirely. And here I was with like, it worked out, you know, I felt so much guilt during that time. Do you know, what's interesting, you know, we've talked to a lot of different people and it's funny how everybody shares the same sentiment of like, everyone's able to find their one thing that like, it wasn't as bad as some other people. I've heard that talking to a lot of different people about the past year. I mean, I think you just have to hold on to some sort of hope because there was just so little of it, you know? So you just take whatever blessing you can. So I didn't have a couch, like, you know, yeah. again, but I still had income coming in every single week, which was a godsend. And especially now that I mean, long story short, Quibi's gone. I lost my job. Uh, the show ended with the whole network in October. And so now it's been going, well, going on what, seven months that I haven't been working. So mm. I'm really, I mean, I'm so, so thankful that we were able to save during that time and like all these things. So, so how did kind of the, did you get an email? Was it a phone call? Like, what did that look like? Okay. So this is actually a crazy story too. I started getting text messages um, from like friends and family that were like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, what, what are they talking? I had no idea what they were talking about. And then someone sent me, um, an article that, you know, and then it started trending on Twitter and all of these things that Quibi was folding. And I honestly didn't even believe it because like, like, again, like Quibi had gotten such bad press this entire time. I, I know the media like wanted it to fail. So I was like, oh, I don't believe this. These are rumors. Like people are saying this and they've been saying this like this whole time or whatever. So then I sent it to my manager, Kelly, and she's like, oh, well, let me like find out. Let me like call somebody. And it wasn't good news. And I found, I found out via like my friends before I found out from anybody else who even had answers. And even that day, like, cause she called the VP of the company, you know, my, my, my production company or whatever. And they were like, oh no, 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 this, uh, we, we haven't even heard anything. Like this is all just rumors. That's all fine. Or it'll be like down the road. And mind you, I had already been picked up for like a second season and wow all of those my jaw things, yeah on the so floor. I it just it was so unbelievable and even like again like the people in charge of my production had no idea they thought it was a rumor and then within a matter of just like an hour maybe an hour and a half I was in TJ Maxx phone conversation about how my dare life. you do that Quibi to TJ Maxx TJ Maxx is a beautiful place <laughs> my first time in a store in like six months and I'm just sitting there like not screaming in the aisle but I'm like well do I have a job like what is this happening like what is happening oh my so god that's like finding out your boyfriend wants to break up with you because he's like tagged in his own wedding photos on Facebook like yes <laughs> that's great that's a great analogy when I was in fourth grade I asked Travis Williams out um I had asked him out seven times before and all seven times he said no but on the last day of school, I asked him out and he goes, fine. We went out all summer. I saw him once at the pool. He ignored me. First day of school shows up. John Forbrick comes up to me, fifth grade, and goes at the lunch table. And he goes, you're dumped. And I said, what? And he said, Travis didn't remember that he was going out with you for a whole week. You're dumped. And I said, with all the courage of Susan B. Anthony, well, if Travis wants to break up with me, he can say it to my face. And I turned around to my friends like, do you see that? I was a feminist right there. I'm a woman. And like three seconds later, there's a tap on my shoulder and it's Travis going, 
you're dumped. I forgot I was going out with you. So we're breaking. Wow. Yeah. We forgot after the whole summer. Yeah. So I just want to say fifth grade Kirsten understands, (laughs) but for serious, as my daughter would say, mom, for serious, for serious, for serious, serious. that is terrible. I am so sorry. Thank God. Yes. You had to work and your husband had work, but oh, just like, I, I just don't understand how, you know, I understand that they couldn't, no, I'm, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I just, the lack of communication. Like, I think they had done an interview, like Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the owner of the company had done an interview and it was supposed to come out at a certain time and someone leaked it beforehand. Um, oh, and let me back up a little bit. We did, we did end up after all, after like the whole six months staying at home, we did end up going back to the studio. It was a different studio, different location. And I had been doing it for like three weeks. So we had a meeting like that day when we got there, because a lot of people are still working at home too. We had a, the most skeleton crew um, in our set. Mind you, again, like I've only been there for like three weeks and I'll tell you a really crushing, another crushing part of this in a second. But um, they said, today might be our last day. Like they didn't even know if we were going to come to work. That was a Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday. Wow. Like tonight might be your last day. I think, I think what hurt the most for it to happen like that. And that time that it happened was Mm. especially crushing because it felt like we were finally having some sort of hope in the world. Oh, I might, I might get a little emotional. So I mean, like just insult to injury and the cherry on top of like the worst year ever, Um, you know, like, and everybody has some sort of this story, like just piles on and piles on and piles on and piles on. Mm. Right. And then you finally like see the light. So leading up to us, like to this moment of getting back into studio and like the show going forward and stuff, my executive producer died. (laughs) What? Yes. Um, so we had, you know, we'd been working six months from home and he was like my best friend on the show. I had not, I had not known him that long, but we both moved from New York together. He took me to go see the daily show. We, we really well, we, we connected and he like took me under his wing and was so supportive of me and my career and like, even like my personal stuff. And he died a random Wednesday, like, like it was just such a shock that I couldn't bear like asking questions. You know what I mean? Oh my Um, gosh. That had happened. And it was like the week I was in my hair salon. This was the first time that I had gotten my hair done uh, during, during um, this entire quarantine. And we were going back to studio that very next week. That next day I had a dress rehearsal, our first time back in the new studio, my longtime stylist chair. And she's like, what is up with you? And I was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I can't get in touch with my, my executive producer. He's not like this. I haven't heard from him in a couple of days. And, um, I just had this sinking feeling and like, nobody had heard from him. I was back and forth with my other coworkers. No one had heard from him. And I get in my car. I, my hair was looking great for the first time in eight months. You know, <laughs> right. you know I'm, I'm excited. Cause I'm going back to my studio for the first time in eight months. And I get in my car and they tell me like that. I have to jump on like a meeting, uh, like a, like a zoom meeting, you know, and I'm in my car. So I just sit there in the parking lot and they told us that he had passed away and they had no answers, but they canceled everything because we didn't know if it was COVID or, or anything. Um, and so you know, again, like here we are, like coming, we're going, the world is coming back and then to have this oh blow, gosh. the person that I was the closest with on this show. Um, and so we ended up taking, taking a week and, and again, like, I know people like to shit on Quibi 
for, you know, like the inhumanity of all that stuff, but like, they were wonderful during this time. They, I mean, Jeffrey Katzenberg didn't call me, but like the person right underneath him, like calling and offering support and to his family and they like they paid for the funeral and like I, I mean like there's a lot so you know them because they really did treat us well during this time but I also but. think that also says so much about then how everything went down because yeah. it does sound like a leak yeah it- and so a week later when we finally like you know came up for air basically we yeah and you know there's just so much uh, 2020 in general was so much trauma and then to have like this kind of trauma on top of that So we get back to the studio and like my first day back is supposed to be like, again, like this is the most exciting, this, we are back, like this is great. And the first thing I have to do is give a eulogy on camera and it just, it just felt like the worst like punch in the gut. Like I didn't even feel like happy. I couldn't feel happy because here, how am I supposed to be happy that things are looking good when the person who has been by my side this entire time from even before day one was gone just vanished in in thin air that's what it felt like and i just it was it was it was so hard <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know forward i was just gonna say i mean that's loss upon loss upon loss i just i mean we moved all you do is move forward you know and you just try and especially like being the person who has to be on camera because everybody can you know you can cry of course you cry you know and of course like the people that i was close to on the show um who are still there's when i tell you they were the best people that i've ever worked with in my entire career like the the best and we were so close-knit especially considering that we you know i didn't even meet half of these people because like we were never together but yeah. we had such a good connection like even via zoom another blessing yeah. of all of this right and so we were just all feeling it and you have those moments with them in private but you know those lights come on and the camera comes on and you have to be a completely different person only three weeks later Mm. did we get the call that it was done and I came home Ah, I came home the day before everything and it was like one in the morning and I was I like remember I I came home and I said Lauren my husband that's my husband's name Lauren I said I just feel like finally we like are in a good spot. Like things are still, yeah, yeah. things are still like raw, but we are finally getting it. And he poured me a glass of wine. He goes, well, that's something to cheers to. And not 12 (laughs) hours later, (laughs) it all fell apart. (laughs) But, But I think what makes this one the most crushing is not like is because it wasn't part of the business because right. for, the first, for the first time, like I got through, I waded through all the shit mm. and I dealt with it all. And I came out the other side and finally mm. it was, this was the moment. This was how, what it was supposed to be. And now for no fault of anybody's, it just ended. And it just, you know, and I think that's the hardest thing just to think about is like, it's, it wasn't even the industry. It was just life that got, you know, an act of literal God that got got in the way of me living my fullest life. It's the first time in my career that I could say that because it's always of how bad you were treated and the people, the vindictive bosses and the layoffs, like that's all normal LA entertainment stuff. And just normal, like corporate stuff, like jobs. Yeah. What happened last year? That ain't normal. Right. That's not, that's, that's what I'm having a hard time dealing with. Yeah. You know, I, I can't, I think it might've been Brene Brown, but I can't, Erin would know. Cause she loves Brene, but 
it might've been Brene, but it might've been somebody else. But it was the idea that like the smack in the face that we just really don't have control. That's just a really, really, really hard thing to be like, I don't have control. Yeah. Like, and I'm, and again, I, I'm used to that within the entertainment industry. I, I'm like, uh, how many, I told you all the times I've just packed up yeah. my life and moved. Like, yeah. I'm used to that, but this is different. What, what has happened the last- Right, because that's not so just, different. that's not in the microcosm of the entertainment industry. Right. That's real. That's the reality of the situation is that we don't. And I remember talking to someone one time, they had traveled somewhere. I, it wasn't the States. It was somewhere out of the States. And I, I don't remember where it was, but it was a pretty impoverished community. And they were saying that they go, I don't want to say the stereotypical, everybody's so happy because they have nothing. That's not what they were saying. But they were like, it was like they got something that we just don't get in America. And it was the idea that there's suffering, there's loss, there's pain. And the, and the fact that for them, they were like, God's still with them during the suffering, the loss and the pain, as opposed to, I think the American version and correct. I know that you grew up in kind of this evangelical community. The American version is because I have God, I won't have suffering, loss and pain to peel back that layer and to kind of expose that lie, you know, of whether it's American or American Christianity, it's kind of all the same of this idea of like, if I just get to this point, then I will be whatever, as opposed to the other side, which I, as the years have gone by, I'm like, no, what it really is, is there's suffering, loss and pain. And just for me, what I believe is that God's just always there through it. Either way, I'm just so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I mean, I feel sorry too. And like, again, like I have my feelings about this, but they pale in comparison to like, you know, families. And, and again, like, I, I know this was, Oh, no, 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 wait, I'm going to stop you. They don't pale in comparison. I think that's something that we do. My therapist talks about well, comparative I was, suffering. I was going to bring it up because you said it in your last podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I was going to say, you, we play this game of who, who has suffered the most. And I yes. got caught in that trap just the other night. I mean, this is my husband and we're having like, you know, married people conversation. Thank God, like for him, you know, yeah. he's, he's my rock. He's my rock through everything because I always try to count my blessings because sure, like yeah. these terrible things happen, but you know, and I think we always have to play that game too. And especially like when the pandemic was happening, I, my, my, like my family, like, and friends were, they were, I mean, they kept, they kept calling me ungrateful because like, sure, all the bad stuff happened, but look what you got. Count your blessings, count your blessings, count your blessings. I think it's really, really okay to also acknowledge the suffering. You can be grateful and sad at the same time. They don't cancel each other out. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Exactly. Exactly. And I think, think there's just there's just so much room for all the feelings rather than just the one feeling. You can be so grateful for your life and feel really sad that something disappointing happened. And I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned um, during this time of just like endless suffering, <laughs> it's okay to have all kinds of different feelings mm. about, but you know, it's okay to acknowledge your suffering. This has been a really wonderful chat. <laughs> See, the thing is too, is like, I, I didn't break down in tears, but I mean, like I could feel it. My heart, mm, you know, beating yeah. fast. I, I've been saying this for a whole year. I need, I need to get a therapist, um, you know, because I, I've also realized too, that like I told you in the beginning, 
Um, and I don't know if we put this in the podcast or not, but like my best friends live on either side of my mm-hmm. walls here. Which I don't know been, if I was recording yet, but yeah, that's fine. But like, it's been such a godsend to have such close people during this time, because mm. the reality is I haven't seen my, my family mm. uh, in over a year because they live on the other side of the country. And, but I've also realized that like, that's not their job to unpack, mm. unpack my shit, you know, and like they're, they're here. We've all that's been- a t-shirt right there. That's not their job to unpack my shit. And it's not my husband job either. No other people are going to resonate with this, but like my husband and I, we joke, we have, we have the best relationship, but we have been joking this entire like pandemic that we have fought more in the last, you know, year mm. than we have fought in the entire 11 years we've been together. Our relationship has really changed over this last year because there's been so much and we've had mm. to only rely on each other. And I'm realizing now that like, it's really not his responsibility to always, always like unpack every little thing. And like mm. my anxieties and like my friends, I shouldn't lay it on them all the time, which is why like talking, I mean, not, not that I'm laying it on you guys either. No. no, talking to different people about it or just getting it out in the open. Uh, is is cathartic I also think and Aaron correct me if I'm wrong but I think sometimes the first step especially when you've grown up in a in a childhood that is you or a situation culture that you do not talk right you keep moving forward you that the first step is almost like acknowledging you have a problem and that acknowledgement is talking to people right is actually talking and I think the next step is talking to some I mean Aaron and I big fans of therapy like huge I think something that's big that I really struggled with as a kid was even just acknowledging that I was hurt. So like I could acknowledge a situation happened and my mom would be like, and you know, did that hurt your feelings? And I'd be like, no, I mean, I was okay. It just, you know, it kind of sucked that it happened. And she'd be like, well, it kind of sounds like it hurt your feelings. And that to me was the part that was vulnerable. In your situation, it wouldn't just be acknowledging that you had this great thing and then it fell apart and it was really unstable, but also just that it hurt being so close to something you really wanted. You know, and I think that's when it starts to get emotional, but it's hard because not that many people have been in that situation. And I think having someone that says to you, wow, that that was really hard or that hurt, like that validation. And especially from a professional, when, but when my therapist has said things to me and like mirrored them back, I don't know if that's the right term, but like it, it, there's a validation there. That's like, oh, oh, I'm not crazy like that's an okay <laughs> thing to feel oh Thank well you. on that note I'll lead into our wrap-up questions if you could tell your 12 year old self anything what would it be to start being my own person way sooner I lived so much of my life in fear of pleasing God community that's I grew up southern so put that smile on your face and just power through and mm. I I learned I don't want to say too late because I love my life the way that it is um mm-hmm but I just didn't become my own person until way later in life. And I just wish that I had done it sooner. If I could just go back and just be like, be you. Don't worry about anybody else's opinion, except Mm. your own, like sooner I would do it. Mm. I love that. Okay. And the last one is, uh, what is your crushed song? I took my very first like real life love breakup very Mm -hmm. seriously. And so I'm going to say the entire Taylor Swift fearless album. I used to. (laughs) Another slow clap. We're just going to clap it out. (laughs) No, but here's what I used to do. I used to be so emo and I (laughs) I played guitar because of course I did. Mm. And I would pull it out and like sit on my floor and I learned like all the breakup songs, but I would post them on my Facebook. (gasps) Do you still have them? Can we, oh my gosh. Can we please post one? Sure. 
Why not? Wait, wait, you would put them up so he could see them? Well, I hoped he would see them. That's story with like, oh, I love it. No, that's the most crush the podcast, crush the podcast story we've ever had. Like that's the best, you win. I talked about this boy in my in the last or two episodes ago. I talked about this boy. He was the boy that put Armageddon on to try to get me to sleep with him. Uh, so he had ghosted me, except we never called it back then ghosted. But he had stopped calling me because he realized I wasn't going to sleep with him. So I had my friend instant message him and say, oh, my gosh, did you hear that Kirsten is up for a role to be Tom Hanks's daughter in a movie? He instant messaged me within like 25 seconds. And he was like, wow, Lindsay just told me blah, blah, blah. Guys, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a manager. I didn't know anybody that knew anybody with an agent or manager. But you take the, the cake. The things we do. The things we do for The love. things we do. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Did you do White Horse? That is the one. Do, 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 do. I don't think you knew you were you were going to be in the thick of this conversation, but we're there now. I can like hear, I, I know what I was wearing. Cause I put on like, so I had bangs at the time, like the side bangs. I forget oh. what year was this, 2008. I don't know. I had the side bangs and I, I put on, um, a spaghetti strap shirt, like you know, <laughs> the whole thing sat down on my, on my floor. I, I had braces at the time too. <laughs> I got braces way oh. later in life as well. And I was like, so to the camera, you know, like the whole thing. I can't wait for you guys to see it. <laughs> Do you remember whatever the thing that like it, she came out on? It was maybe a t- People's Choice Awards or something. She was like singing with her guitar and she had a sweatshirt and then she like ripped it off and there was rain and she was oh, singing. Yeah. And I started bawling and I was like, <laughs> yes, that's what I want. I want finally for someone to take the hoodie off and for they can finally see me in a sparkly dress in the rain and then they'll know I'm beautiful and I'm talented and I'm sexy. Taylor, Taylor given us, uh, I mean, we were adults at that point. Not you, Erin. You're still so young, but. but Thank you. Tay-Tay. Oh, Taylor. (laughs) You know, Heather, I just want to say this was a phenomenal, phenomenal interview. Just thank you so much for just being you. Thank you for being you. Thank you guys for being you. I had not listened to your podcast until, until it was suggested by Kelly and I. I mean, I, I subscribed, obviously. So I got to go back and listen to the rest of them. Someone had written in, in the comments, or not the comments, the the little iPod or Apple reviews. Apple reviews, reviews. And they were like, I did not know I needed this podcast. And I was like, yes, I did not know that I needed Aww, this podcast. Thank you. So thank Aww. you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this podcast literally came out of this year. I mean, the show was eight and a half years ago, the original show, the first time I premiered it. But like, I just think... I literally was praying this like 25 day prayer. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with my life? And this just came up like podcast. Mm-hmm. So um, and here it is. And yeah, you picked up immediately, which is amazing. So yeah. congratulations to that. I know Thank how hard you. it is to get your content out. So people listen so we can make money off ads, please. please. If you I want mean- this to continue, you need to share it because this is so much work. And I have two kids and Erin is a real estate agent almost who works at Starbucks, please. Yeah, that would be nice. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are such a delight and a joy. And you can find Heather on at Heather GTV. You can find her on Twitter, TikTok, the Instagram. The Instagram. (laughs) I know. I said the Instagram. I'm 40 years old. Bye guys.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.